spent a great time singing sermons to one another, didn't we? Amen. <laughs> you, uh, that's, it's uh, sometimes daunting to <laughs> come up after such a wonderful time of worship. But let me just start uh, by saying this. Good, I said good morning, but uh, welcome to the first Sunday of 2016. And happy new year to all of you. Uh, I'm excited for all that God God has in store for us. I, I really am. 2016 is going to be wonderful, um, no matter what happens. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and I was thinking about this. I don't know, um, how many of you take time at New Year to uh, reflect on the past year or the past a little bit and then look closely at the new year to come? Do, do some of you do that, or some just say, no way, I, I'm done with that, I, I try that. It always kind of cracks me up. The high schoolers always tend to have one or two of them who are like, well, I'm giving up sugar all year. <laughs> I'm like, actually, some of them make it, but then I'm like, oh, thanks for telling me that. And we'll have sugar every Wednesday night, just so I can tempt them and uh, try to get them to, to break them down, because that's how I am. Loving youth pastor-ish type things to do. But uh, that's not really what what I want to focus on this morning. And, and if you're willing to do it, think back to the start of 2015, this past year. At the end, as 24, 2014 ended, what did you plan for 2015? What did you think would happen? How many of you had financial goals or job goals or changes to be made, sin to conquer by the grace of God? Did you make plans to read through the scriptures? Did you grab a reading plan? How'd that go? Did you pray more? Did you memorize more of God's word? Now, I, I'm kind of the same as those of you who kind of shook your head and said, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention and make a lot of resolutions. I, I don't do that myself either. But I do think evaluation and planning is a good thing. But, but here's the truth. True success and blessing in 2016 is not going to be measured by any of our checkbooks, our credit card balances, our waistlines, our 5K runtime, what vacations we take, or any professional achievements that may or may not occur. And so as we start a new year, I just want us to be reminded and to remember Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In James 4, 13 through 17, it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As the Lord wills. And as a church, let's pray that. Let's say that. As the Lord wills, we will walk where God directs and guides us. So what does 2016 hold for us here at church? I don't know. But God does. He loves his people and he loves his church. And what does 2016 hold for you as individuals? I don't know. But God does. And he loves you 
And he sent Jesus Christ to bring you forgiveness and eternal life. And he is sovereign in all things. So we have reasons, great reasons, to rejoice in a new year. And so I like new year. And here's what's great. As we grow spiritually and as you as individuals grow spiritually, Grace Bible Church as a corporate body of Christ that meets, we will grow spiritually. We will see God at work as you grow. As you grow in knowledge and in holiness, our local church grows in the knowledge of Christ and in holiness. And as you become more Christ-like, our church becomes more Christ-like. And we begin to show a stronger image of Jesus Christ to our community. So we're in this together. We're not alone. Imagine what God will do with a bunch of his children who desire that Jesus Christ is going to be, no matter what, the center of all things. I'll tell you what, if that happens, 2016 and beyond will be awesome and exciting and a great adventure. I also love that God is in his sovereignty. He's gave us a passage today that really fits with all this at this time of new year. And we're back in Ephesians. And so in the next couple weeks, we're going to look at Paul's life and his ministry as he describes it for a bit in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to see how his calling and his ministry was fully centered on Jesus Christ. And it's going to give us a blueprint to follow and to imitate as we strive to fulfill our individual mission and our individual callings, and then also our corporate callings as a church. And so, by the grace of God, I pray we'll follow Paul's example, and I am confident that God will do great things in us and through us, corporately and individually. It's a wonderful thing how it works. So I want to read our text, Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by, working, by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word this morning, and as, we, as we've spent some time digging in 
and looking at your word. Father, I would just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily. Father, I would pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct my words. And Father, that you would guide and direct each heart in here, each mind. So Father, that we would spend time knowing and learning who you are and what you've done and how we should live so that we would be pleasing to you. Guide the teaching of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any of you imitators of anything? Any of you ever imitated something in your life? Any of you play Little League Baseball growing up, guys? I'm not a gal, so I don't know what gals technically imitate. I know know that oftentimes... uh, Boy, she's going to kill me. No, never mind. I won't do that. Sometimes I'll get on YouTube or something like that and I'll see people singing and they're trying to imitate Adele. Most of the time it's done a bit poorly. Other times people are trying to imitate, uh, like for guys, I grew up, and I'm not ashamed to say it, but if you started like yelling out baseball players of the 1980s, I could probably do their batting stance for you. Because my brother and I would throw the tennis ball at each other and we'd swing the baseball bat all day long and be like, okay, be Jack Clark. You know, and that was actually pretty accurate. And be Ricky Henderson. I can't do that. I am too old to crouch down like that anymore. My knees hurt too much. But we would imitate what we would watch and we would start taking on characteristics in our stupid little, stupid, I'm sorry, in our funny little game that we were playing. And we would imitate different baseball players. We like to imitate. We do that. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you start, you get a new coworker who you maybe, who you maybe uh, get along with better. Do you ever notice that you start taking on some of their mannerisms and some of their expressions and their sayings? It's always funny with my kids. Like, where'd you hear that expression? Ooh, school. And, like, and they take it on and they start imitating. We are imitators. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. And so today, and in the next few weeks, it's proper for us to take a closer look at Paul as he writes about his ministry. It is worth looking at Paul for his attitude, to see his love for Jesus Christ, to see his love for the church, to see his desire to know Christ and to make Christ known his endurance and suffering. In our passage, if you look at it closely, it looks like Paul is about to pray for the church. He's about to pray for the church of Ephesus, and then he gets sidetracked, and we don't really know why he gets sidetracked. It could very well be, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then it says, assuming, and it's like he just goes on a rabbit trail, which I appreciate. I like that about Paul, because I tend to do the same thing. I I don't know if he was distracted by something he wrote, but it doesn't matter because it's in God's word, and it's divinely inspired. So it's there, it's worth looking at. But you look at, jump to verse 14, what are the first three words? For this reason, I bow my knees before the heavenly Father. Same words, for this reason and then for this reason, but we have a sidetrack here. And so we look at Paul. 
And we can't ignore it. We have much to learn as individuals and also as a church in these verses before Paul prays in verse 14. You see, Paul is a picture of Christ-centered ministry, of Christ-centered mission. And as we look at our text, there's really six things and we're no way going to get there. We're going to do two today and we'll see how next week goes and the week that follows. And I'm looking forward to Juice for Jesus coming. That is going to be an awesome Sunday. Bring a friend. Don't miss that. Christ in the Old Testament, it's, a, it's just going to be an awesome time. But we'll look at two things today. And then we're going to move into a time of communion to start the new year, which I just think is it's going to be a great morning. But as individuals and as a body of believers, we, like Paul, should be fully surrendered to the will of God. We need to be a people as individuals and as a church who are fully surrendered to the will of God. And Paul opens the passage with this. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then go to the very end. And Paul closes this section before praying in verse 14 with this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. You see, Paul was in the midst of fulfilling his calling for Christ, and it was a ministry and a calling that included much, much suffering. Yet, he surrendered himself to the will of God. Remember a few weeks back, Jeff uh, taught from Acts chapter 9, and remember when God spoke to Ananias, and he said, hey, no, don't worry, you go get Paul. Go get him. And what did Jesus say? For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before all for the sake of... Uh, oops. Spelling error, sorry. I remember when that happened when I was typing it out. He said, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. And he goes, and I am going to show Paul what he is going to suffer for the sake of my name. Suffering was guaranteed for Paul. Jesus said it right from the start. He is going to suffer for my name. Paul suffered, and he suffered willingly because he was fully surrendered to the will of God. You're going to hear me say that a lot today. Fully surrendered to the will of God. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through, 20, 23 through 33, Paul gives his resume of suffering, I like to call it. We won't turn there, but I'll just kind of give you the highlights. <laughs> highlights. Countless beatings, often near death. Great labor. Imprisonment. Five times he received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. You know why they did 40 less one? One more, you'd bleed out. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Night and day adrift at sea, constant dangers, rivers, robbers. The Jews didn't like him. Gentiles didn't like him. False teachers didn't like him. He had toil, hardship. He endured hunger, thirst, cold, and exposure. And then he says this, and on, that, on top of all that, the daily pressure and the anxiety of caring for Christ's church. You see, Paul suffered, but yet the same person who suffered said, rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I say, rejoice. In Philippians, he was in prison. In Ephesus, he's in prison as he's writing this. And yet he endures because Jesus is worth it. And he says, I will do this. And we too must surrender ourselves and be fully surrendered to the will of God, no matter what. And it will include suffering. Now, I know you're here, Ron, can't you be positive on 2016, first Sunday? This is positive because it's great and right to be in the will of God, no matter the cost. And we'll see later how much suffering really works in God's kingdom. You see, we will suffer. Scripture tells us so. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. 1 John 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. So in 2016, expect suffering if you live a life committed to Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised. Now, we don't go out looking for suffering, but we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. Can, can I just share that with you? Yeah, I know school's changed, and I think it's for the best. But when I was growing up, oh, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. When I was growing up, there was a kid, you know, there were kids on the playground. My wife just shook her head at me, but that's okay. There were kids on the playground that you could tell, and, and I'm not saying it's right, and I'm fleshly and unsaved at times, and not, I was unsaved as a kid. But no, they would want, I would say, they want to get hit. They would just badger people. I'm like, they're looking to get hit. They're looking to get punished. They just kept needling, 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 and bugging, and bugging, and bugging. Like, and people would warn them, stop. Stop or I'm going to take you down. Stop or I'll take you down. No, and they keep going and poking and then, nope, you got taken down. Can't do that anymore and I think that's probably a good thing. Just not to editorialize or anything like that. That's not what we should be. As believers, let's not be the ones who just poke, 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 poke. Let's shine the light of Christ and when that happens, we will have a proper persecution. We will have a proper Time of suffering. Now, in America, can I just tell you, compared to the rest of the world, if you have an opportunity, get on Voice of the Martyrs and see what is happening in the, in the global church and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who give their lives for the gospel. We have troubles here in our country, but let me tell you what. Our suffering as believers, It's kind of sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. We don't get killed. We're here free this morning, but we have brothers and sisters who have their heads taken off in the Middle East for following Jesus Christ. Suffering comes. Don't be surprised. I'm always surprised when people just say, oh, I didn't expect that. Can you imagine a new recruit to the armed services going to basic training or boot camp and say, hey, sergeant, uh, can I sit this one out? I really didn't think we'd be running this much. <laughs> you join the Marine Corps. What are you going to do? Basic training, you're going to get trained. Pool parties with youth groups. There's always one kid who sits at the corner of the pool within splash range, I don't want to get wet. You're at a pool party. 
you're going to get wet. Martial arts. Some of you are into like martial arts and, and judo and all kinds of kickboxing and such like that. Not this guy. I won't go near them. Why? I don't want to get hit. I especially don't want to get hit in the face. I don't go into gyms where they do that. Why? Because if you go there, you expect to get hit. Because you're training. It goes with the territory. So the point is this. Following Christ brings suffering, and it does bring persecution. But let us be like Paul. We need to be committed to following Christ, even in the midst of suffering. Paul in the midst of all he went through, was still fully centered on Jesus Christ. He viewed himself as Christ's prisoner. Do you see this? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Nero? A prisoner of Rome? No, it says this. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What was Paul's mindset? I am Christ's prisoner. Are you? Can we as a people, can I say... I am Christ's prisoner. Whatever he wants me to do, I am captive to him. Because that's what Paul was saying. Am I fully surrendered to the will of God like Paul? Or are you? I am 99.9999% sure that I would write this. <clears throat> I run to the church in Hollister at Grace Bible Church, a prisoner of Iran, a prisoner of ISIS, beg you to call my senator and get me out of here. <laughs> I would. But Paul views himself as fully belonging to Christ, and he rejoiced in his imprisonment. In Philippians, he says, I want to tell you I'm rejoicing because my imprisonment is causing the gospel to go out further. In Ephesians 6.20, as he ends this letter, he says this, I am an ambassador for Christ in chains. An ambassador in chains. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's turn there. It's too good not to. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul understood, wherever God had him, does not bind or bound the word of God it was going for. 
He was Christ's prisoner. Are we Christ's prisoners? Will we say, wherever you go, go with me. So let's be like Paul. As individuals and as a church, let's follow our king wherever he leads us. Let us be people who say, send me. Let us say, Jesus, by your grace, I will follow wherever you lead, and I know you will be with me. When we follow Christ, his grace and his power goes with us. So we fear not. And Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. As individuals, we follow Christ, fully surrender to his will. And let us, like Paul, also do this, care for one another. In the will of God, we go wherever he wants, but also we have a heart for people like Paul. Look back in Ephesians at verse 13, as he ends this section, he says this, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, Paul is in prison. And Paul is afflicted. Paul is suffering. He doesn't deny it. He says, I am suffering for you. But he's saying to them, he's saying to the church, I'm suffering for you, but don't lose heart. I'm doing this for you, which is your glory. What he's saying is, I do this for you, which brings Christ glory. Christ is coming back, he's saying. Don't lose heart. In Colossians 1.24, it's kind of a parallel passage. He says, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. Glory is coming, Paul is saying. Christ is coming, so we endure. Right? Momentary light affliction, as Paul says in Corinthians, is bringing us, bringing us what? An eternal weight of glory. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for the slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying, yeah, I'm suffering for you, church, but it doesn't matter because it's in God's plan and it brings glory. And what's coming in the future doesn't compare to what this moment is bringing. I hope you see Paul's care and compassion for the sheep there. I love that he says, hey, church, don't worry. Don't lose heart. Don't fret over me and my circumstances. And yeah, I'm suffering for you, but it's for your glory. So as individuals and as a body of believers, like Paul, we should be fully surrendered to the will of God. The second, as individuals and as a body of believers, we, like Paul, should understand the mystery of Jesus Christ. In 2016, we need to grow in our understanding of Jesus Christ. We need to know Jesus more. In this text, Paul now speaks and writes of his calling and his responsibility to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the church to fully understand this message. In verse two, Paul had a stewardship of God's grace. Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace. Now you guys understand what stewardship is, right? You don't own it but you take care of it. You're a steward, like the steward of Gondor. We won't go any further than that. Those of you who know what I was saying, you understand that. He was not the king. He was just taking care of it until the king came back. 
in the Lord of the Rings. Like us, like Paul, we take care, we are stewards of God's grace till Jesus returns. And we need to be faithful like Paul. And he says, the mystery of Christ was revealed to Paul in verse 3. And in verse 4, Paul says this, when you have read this, you can perceive or understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Very similar to what we spoke on in chapter 2 at the end a few weeks ago. Now let's, we got to look here. Paul lived in very special times, didn't he? I mean, imagine. Christ had just risen from the dead some years back. And the church is being established. And Paul had an opportunity to go to the Gentiles and for the first time ever, he was revealing to them Christ. He was showing them Christ. He was revealing a great and wonderful mystery. He was making a great announcement that Christ came for all nations and for all men. Gentiles are fellow heirs. And so Paul proclaims Christ and the church and wants the church to understand this proclamation. Embrace it. Live it. This was awesome times. Imagine Rome for the first time hearing the eternal God sent his son for you and you could have eternal life. And Paul is praying that you would understand this and that they would know. But he also says, he goes, this is revealed to me. I'm proclaiming to you, I want you to understand it. What would happen if we didn't understand and grow? You see, Paul taught, and 2,000 years later, think about this. This is Ephesus. We're in Hollister. You see, they grasped the truth. They held on to Christ. They understood the mystery that Christ is for all people, and the gospel has gone forth. So what do we do? We proclaim the revelation that occurred 2,000 years ago. Christ came. Jesus saves. We need to understand this. We need to proclaim the great doctrine of the apostles. This is huge and it's important. It's why we study. It's why we teach from God's word. As we pass on the truth of Jesus Christ to others, we, they will do the same. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be told. And we need to understand it. Can you imagine? Let me tell you about Jesus. And someone goes, okay. Oh, I don't really know. What a horror that would be. What a horror if we watered down the message. What a horror it would be if we do not understand God's word. This is life. This is the hope of the nations as we sang. And so we must understand the mystery that, of Christ. Do you understand? I hope I, I know this is deep stuff and we're kind of doing a flyby, but we need to know this. Paul charged Timothy, guard the trust and what you have learned, teach also to others who will be faithful to teach others. We pass this on. We need to understand God's word. It's why we study. We learn Christ 
not just to become smarter. We learn and study the scriptures so that we could tell others to proclaim Christ to the nations. Do you know the mystery? Can you reveal the mystery to others? We re-reveal it. Paul was doing it for the first time and we're, we just jump on. Look what Paul said. Look what the apostles taught. This is what we believe. And so in 2016, get into your Bible. Jump into the word of God. Read it. If you don't understand it, email one of us. Ask questions. Ask questions to one another in your community groups. Say, I was reading this week. What do you think? Gather around the word of God. Listen to good preaching on your commute. Can you imagine, do you know the time we live in? You have at your computer resources that are mind-staggering. You, you can listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones, not him exactly, but people read his sermons. An awesome preacher. Spurgeon's sermons are, on, are, are readable. You can, there, there's databases full of them. In a blink of an eye, you can find countless preachers who love the word of God and proclaim it boldly. And we could be saturated with God's word. And then when we do that, we know Jesus more. And the more we know Jesus, the more our lives change. Commit this year to reading your Bible above any other literature. It's worth it. We have good news to share, but if we don't study and know the news, we have nothing to say. As a sales guy, when I used to make my rounds on the route, I made sure on Sunday night that I would look up all the NFL details. Now, I, I, I like football, so it wasn't that hard to do, but if I was busy, as I oftentimes am on Sundays, I would... Uh, I'd make sure I knew, okay, what are, especially the Raiders and 49ers. What did the Raiders do with the 49ers? Who are the key players? So then when my customers would say, what did you think of the game? At least I could say I didn't catch it, but I understand that Tim Brown had a good game receiving. And I could engage and talk. You understand? If someone says, your life is different, why? Well, I don't know. Oh, they just teed it up. You could have hit a home run. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how he changed me. Let me reveal something to you. God loves us and he sent Jesus Christ. Know God's word. People are asking for wisdom all the time. Give them wisdom from God's word. Be in God's word. Proclaim Jesus this year. Grow in Christ this year. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Learn him and know him. You know what happens too? As you do that, your gaze will start to be focused on Jesus Christ. And what's good about that? Your gaze, when it's focused on Christ, sin starts looking like the utter ugliness it is. See, oftentimes when we take our eyes off of Christ, we start fooling ourselves and lying to ourselves and we say, that looks better. That's what I want. John Piper wrote uh, in a blog post a few weeks back, and he said this, people don't tend to struggle with lust 
when they're standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Why is that? Because the Grand Canyon, I've never been there, but from what I understand, the Grand Canyon is awesome. It's beautiful. The sun hits and there's colors and it's a deep chasm and people are focused on the Grand Canyon. They're not focusing on their temptations. One of my favorite places for me, I would say this, Glacier Point. One of my favorite places in all the world. When I am looking at Glacier Point, sin and temptation, really, by God's grace, and I'm sure there's some who are in such bondage that maybe, maybe even in the midst of all beauty, sin still looks better. But for, by God's grace, if I'm at Glacier Point, I'm focusing on God's creation. I'm saying, this is beautiful. Look at Half Dome. Look at the sun going down. Let's stay longer. <clears throat> Dad, we're still looking at the same thing. We're staying longer. I'm going to stay till I can't see anymore because it's beautiful. I want to gaze upon Yosemite Valley. We gaze upon Christ. Sin looks awful. And sin looks ugly. And we say, no, I want to look at Jesus this year. I want to look at Jesus in this moment. I want Christ to be the center of my life. So if holiness is your desire, and it should be, Turn your gaze from sin and turn your eyes to Jesus. Is peace your desire? Are you anxious? Do you worry? Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Are you looking for something more in life? We saw a few weeks ago, months ago, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you fear abandonment? Jesus will never, ever leave you or forsake you. 2016, like Paul, let us understand the mystery of Christ. And let's be fully committed to be in the will of Christ, to be in the will of God, to be centered in what he has for us, no matter what it may be. James says, have joy in trials because it produces endurance and then endurance will have its result that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if trials come for us, we say, Lord, it's your will. And we submit to it. And we have joy. We say, God's doing something. And I know what he's doing. He's making me more like Christ. And in 2016, let's continue to dive into the word of God. To know his word. To know Jesus. And as our eyes are fixed on him, I love the old hymn. The things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to Jesus. We're going to move into communion, and we're going to do a, a little different today. If we could have the men who will be passing it out, why don't you come on up? And oftentimes we have a song or something else happening. What I want to do this time today is take a few moments as they're passing it out in silent prayer. Just time with you and God. Commit the year to Christ. Be thankful for the picture that we have here, the remembrance of what Jesus has done.
And so let's then I'll take some time in prayer as the elements are, are distributed. Let, take both to them, uh, cup, and, cup and the bread, and then we'll partake together. But just spend time with God this morning and focus on him and pray and be thankful. So if you can pass those out. being passed out if you haven't done so already take, take some moments and really focus in on the grace of God spend some time focusing on Christ and his sacrifice for you spend some time in amazement and thankfulness of the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus
as I was praying, I, the Lord brought to mind a, one of my favorite illustrations of being made clean. It's a, it's a bit funny, but it, it really shows what God has done for us. When I was, uh, I don't know, about 18 years ago, 19 years ago, was on a trip and uh, with a bunch of youth kids, and I wasn't in charge of it, thankfully, but a uh, pastor who was in charge uh, borrowed a brand new Suburban, I mean brand new, loaded, looked awesome, white, great interior, and uh, we used it for our trip. Well, on the same trip, he had uh, purchased red dye fruit punch concentrate, you know, the Hawaiian punch stuff, and he put it in the back back of the car, right behind the driver's seat. And uh, it was hot, and uh, the punch exploded, the concentrate. And that car was a mess. It was a mess. And yep, we had to pay for a new interior, and it was a big insurance claim, and, and that stain wasn't coming out. But can you imagine if that same red punch concentrate, we were out on the ocean, out on a boat in the Pacific Ocean, and we take that same red punch concentrate and we pour it into the sea. How long would we see it? It would get swallowed up immediately. And that's what God's grace is. The oceans of God's grace, no matter what makes a mess in our suburbans and in our hearts, the sea of God's mercy is so great, it sucks it up and it doesn't even show. And our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus, amen? In scriptures it says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it, all of you. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember our forgiveness. And let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for a new year. Lord, at this time, we, we know that there's a new start. But Father, for those in here who are saved by your grace, we know that there was a day when you made us new, where we were washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And for that, we are so thankful. Father, help us in this year. Help us in this day. Help us moment by moment to live lives that are pleasing to you. And we do this not by our own power, not by our own efforts, but we do this by the grace that you so willingly and generously provide. Father, thank you for the new life we have in Jesus Christ. May we be a people centered in your will, fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Go with us now. Be with us this week. May we be quick to tell how great you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.